through verses 31 through 62. It's uh, Luke 22, verses 31 through 62. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, Nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter in temptation. And while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were with him, who were around him, saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Father, I thank you for your word that is living, Lord. I thank you that it has the power to transform lives, to transform our hearts, Father. I pray that uh, this morning that um, your word would go forth, Lord, that uh, you would anoint it, Lord. Give me the words to speak, that they would be your words, Lord, that it could transform lives this morning, Lord, that you would be glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So when we come across familiar stories in Scripture, we have these five stories here in Luke 22. We have Jesus foretelling Peter's denial. We have Jesus saying something about getting swords. We have Jesus in the garden praying. We have the rest. We have the servant's ear being cut off by one of the disciples. We have Peter denying Jesus. We can, it's, uh, there's possibility that with these familiar stories that we can miss what is being communicated here. And in Luke in particular, he has a way of writing to communicate his message. And, and he, in Luke chapter 1, he tells us how he's writing. He, he's, he writes to Theophilus. He says, I'm writing this account, an orderly account, that you may believe. So he doesn't necessarily write in a chronological order of this is event happened, and this event happened, and this event happened, and this event happened in order. Luke orders it in such a way to communicate a particular message. He has something that he wants to communicate to his readers. He has something that he wants to communicate to us through the word. And when we come across these familiar stories, it's easy to miss in all of that. What is it that he's trying to communicate? How are these five stories, they seem like separate events, but really they're tied together in one cohesive whole that Luke is trying to communicate to us. And so as we go through it this morning, hopefully we'll be able to, to see what that message is um, and how um, Luke, when he's writing it, how it converges on a single point, a single idea. And the idea is, is dealing with temptation, right? And so um, as we go through it this morning, uh, hopefully we'll be able to see that. And so a little bit of context of what's going on here before we get to verse 31. So uh, Jesus is with the disciples, and he's in the upper room. Uh, They're celebrating the Passover feast. And uh, before this, Jesus announced that one of them would be, one of the disciples would betray him. And so uh, the disciples started talking amongst themselves, who who could it be, who could it be? And this kind of discussion led into, let's call it a spirited dispute, uh, a spirited discussion about, who is the greatest. You can kind of see like, uh, I would never betray Jesus, or I would never betray Jesus, and it kind of turned into, well, because I'm better, right? And it kind of turns into this whole, who's going to be the greatest? And so Jesus sets, sets the record straight on what it takes to be the greatest in the kingdom. And here then we find ourselves in, in, uh, on verse 31, and, Peter, and uh, Jesus talks to, P, uh, to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold... Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. So the, the word you hear, so Jesus is speaking to Peter, but the word you hear is for like you all. So he's speaking to about all of the disciples. He's saying Satan is demanded to have you all that he may sift you like wheat, that he may test each one of you. Uh, he wants to test each one of them. And Jesus says, though, in verse 32, he says, But I have prayed for you. And now he's speaking with the singular you. He's speaking directly to Peter. He's saying, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. And so Jesus knows Peter is going to fail this test. um, Because he says, um, But your faith would not fail. So he's not going to lose his faith over this. But this test that Satan is bringing... Peter's, Peter's going to fail it. Um, and, uh, and he says, but when you turn back again, so, so Jesus says, when you turn again, I want you to strengthen your brother. So not only does Jesus know that uh, Peter's faith 
or not his faith, Peter will fail the test. The disciples will also fail the test that Satan has for them as well. But Jesus, but Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. And uh, we, uh, in John 17, uh, there's a whole prayer in there. It's a long prayer. I uh, invite you all to read it. But we're just going to look at John 15. Peter says, I, don't, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. We've kind of hear this, uh, this concept of this evil one. So Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to go through the test. I'm not going to remove this test or prevent it from happening. You're going to go through it. Um, but uh, and you're going to be here part of our uh, reason or purpose. And so, um, and so they'll be tested. And oftentimes we're going to be tested. There's nothing in here that says that we won't be tested. Satan has demanded that uh, they test the disciples. But Jesus has prayed for them that their faith would not fail. And we're going to be tested too. And uh, in John uh, seventeen twenty, it says, I don't have it up there, but it says, John seventeen twenty says that I ask for not these only, talking about the disciples, but those who will come to believe through their word. The word that we have here, Jesus prayed for you and for me, as well as those disciples in this prayer that he had. Verse 33, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So Peter, he's typically the bold one, right? He's the first one out of the boat. Um, he's the first one to, to get in front of anything. And he's self-confident. He's, his confidence is not in Jesus. His confidence is not... Uh, um, his, its confidence is in himself. He thinks he can do it on his own. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. He's got that courage, that boldness, right? But Jesus, Jesus corrects him. He says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster is not going to crow until you deny me. And so Jesus lets Peter know, hey, you're, you're going to fail this. Um, but there's going to be a purpose in this testing. And then and we go to verse 35, and Jesus, talking to Peter, says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster's going to grow three times, uh, will not grow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And then he turns his attention to the disciples. And so he's connecting this concept of Peter denying uh, Jesus to what's going to happen with the disciples. And he said to them, verse 35, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. They had everything that they needed. They had everything that they needed in Christ, in Jesus. But he said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. So this is a really challenging passage in Scripture. We have Jesus telling the disciples, Sell your cloak and buy a sword if you don't have one. Um, and there's... Uh, different viewpoints uh, that people have taken to try to reconcile this because it seems to kind of contradict everything that Jesus has kind of said before, right? You love your enemies. You don't kill them. Uh, you know, turn the other cheek, uh, that sort of concept here. But now he's saying, it seems that he's saying, hey, I go out and buy these swords. And so 
one of the uh, kind of the uh, viewpoints is that Jesus is speaking metaphorically here. He's not really telling the disciples, go out and buy actual swords. He's telling them, you know, I, you need to prepare uh, the sword of the spirit, right? Paul would say, put on the whole armor of God. And so Jesus is speaking metaphorically here. He's not speaking about getting actual swords. Um, another viewpoint is, is that uh, Jesus is telling them, go out and get swords. That uh, He says, when I sent you out before, you know, the world was a safe place. Uh, nobody hated me back then. But now, after I'm gone, the world's going to hate you because they hate me, right? And so it's going to be a dangerous place, and you're going to need to defend yourselves um, as a, as a, after Jesus is gone. And so that's why you need these swords. Um, did Jesus, uh, is that what really Jesus meant by this? I don't know. That, that seems kind of a tough stretch to make, I think. Um, uh, all the disciples, except for John, are going to be martyred. So we don't, we don't see anywhere in Scripture where these disciples went out and uh, were defending themselves. Stephen, he didn't take a sword and defend himself from those who were trying to stone him. Uh, he, he was martyred, right? And so that seems kind of a stretch uh, that Jesus is telling them that they need these swords for self-defense. Was uh, Jesus speaking more metaphorically then? Well, maybe. Maybe he was. Um, we do see in Scripture, though, where one disciple, he did use a sword, right? And in fact, it's actually in this same section of Scripture that we're looking at this morning. And so... Perhaps in the next verse, Jesus will tell him us himself, communicate maybe why he said to use a sword. So in that same thought, in that same sentence, after he tells him, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. And then he says in verse 37, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And so in some translations, uh, Transgressor can be translated as rebels. Where, where do we see Jesus among a group of rebels uh, that uh, he would be counted against? Well, we see that right in this following uh, section of scripture also that we're looking at, right? When they come to arrest Jesus. And so uh, is it possible here that the transgressors that Jesus is talking about here. This quote is from Isaiah 53.12. Is it possible that the transgressors here are the disciples? It's possible. It could be. Um, is that what he's saying here? Maybe. Maybe. Their response to Jesus telling them this, in, uh, verse 38, the disciples said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It's enough. So, if you take the viewpoint that Jesus is just speaking metaphorically here, that it is enough could be, kind of the concept would be like, hey, that's enough of that. I don't want to hear any more of this talk, right? And so Jesus, frustrated, just tells them, hey, that's enough of that. Um, you know, maybe that's a possibility there. If Jesus is speaking about these swords uh, for them to use as self-defense after he's gone, um, is two swords going to be enough? For their self-defense? I don't know. Um, it seemed clear that Jesus is saying, hey, if you don't have a sword, 
by a sword, right? So it's kind of implying that all of the disciples should have swords, but yet they say they only have two. But he said it's enough. And so that one, it seems a little uh, challenging if that's what's really going on here. If it's the disciples that are the transgressors, that scripture may be fulfilled. And Jesus had said, hey, have two swords, or you know, have a sword. And the disciples said, hey, we've got two. Is that enough for the disciples to be counted as transgressors? I think it would be. I think it would be uh, enough of that. And I think we'll see that um, in the arrest scene. But to be clear, though, Peter and the disciples, they do need to uh, prepare for spiritual battle. There's a battle coming. Jesus says, remember how he started this out? He says, Satan has demanded to have you that he may test you, sift you like wheat. And so there's a battle coming, and uh, they need to get ready for it. So whether Jesus is speaking metaphorically or, um, or not, either way, the disciples, they need to be preparing. Um, Peter's going to end up denying knowing Jesus. And I would say that the disciples will end up denying that they need Jesus. Right? They're going to do it themselves, pull them up by their own bootstraps. Uh, and so they'll deny that they need Jesus. And so perhaps what's going on in here is uh, how we connected the first set of passage right, um, with we started the section of scripture with Jesus foretelling that Peter will deny him. And we ended this section of scripture with Peter denying him. Perhaps these are like bookends around that concept. Remember I said that Luke had a purpose in his writing. He actually structures his writing in such a way to converge on that single idea. That single idea of dealing with temptation. And so we have Peter uh, Jesus foretelling Peter's denial, Peter's denial. Next we have Jesus talking about the swords, and the disciples need to have something with swords, right? That's, that uh, scripture may be fulfilled dealing with the transgressors. And what do we have on the other side? We have the disciples taking the sword and cutting off the ear of a servant, bookending that. And what do we have right here in the middle? We have the middle, we have the scene of Jesus praying. And it says, verse 39, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. So they need to be getting ready for this test, the testing that they're going to be going through. And so we're converging on this point here. This concept that disciples need to be praying that they not enter in temptation. And it, and it says, as was this custom that came to the Mount of Olives. So during the daytime, it says day by day, Jesus taught in the temple. And at night, they would return here to, to sleep at night. And Jesus, in the same garden, right, he taught the disciples to pray. And we can read uh, in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, he said, Pray then like this, O Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, 
on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive those who have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? And so in this prayer that Jesus had taught the disciples before, in this very garden, this prayer is acknowledging the relationship that we have with the Father, right? Our Father, not my Father, our Father, right? And so if he's our Father, then with a relationship with him, we would be his children. So we know who he is, and we should know who we are, right? And it says, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So who is this father? He's the one in authority, right? He's the king, your kingdom. It says, give us this day our daily bread. We acknowledge that he provides for us. He is our provision. When Jesus sent out the disciples earlier, said, did you need anything? And they said, no, we didn't need anything. We lacked nothing. Right? God, God the Father, He is our provision. He is our provider. It says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so, we acknowledge that He's the judge. Right? If we're going to be forgiven for something, He is judging something. Right? And so, He is, he is the judge of that. And so, we, we pray, forgive us. Forgive us our sins. That we may also forgive those who sinned against us, right? And here we go. In verse 13, it says, Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. It could also be translated as deliver us from the evil one. Right? Right how we started? Right? Satan has demanded to have you, to test you. And so Jesus prayed to the Father. We looked at that in John uh, 17, 15. He says, I don't want you to take him out of this world, but protect him from the evil one. And so in our prayers... Uh, and the prayers that uh, he's asking the disciples, he says, pray that you may not enter into temptation, right? But deliver from the evil one. You're going to go through the test. And, it's, and the leading is not like, hey, you're going to me, get me into temptation. The concept is help us in not giving in to the temptation um, is the concept there. And so it says uh, in verse 41, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Right? We see that in the prayer that Jesus had taught the disciples earlier, right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. If it's your will, Father, that is your will that I want uh, to see. We see that it says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. So Jesus was nearby. He was close to the disciples. They could certainly see him. They may even be able to hear, hear and may possibly understand what he is saying. And it says, and he knelt down and prayed. Jewish custom at the time was not to kneel. In fact, it's not the custom today. They, they find it rather offensive to kneel in prayer that they say that we're created in the image of God and God would never bow down. Well, of course, that flies in the face of, of Jesus, but they deny him, right? So uh, Jesus knelt down uh, to wash the feet of the disciples. Uh, God coming down and doing that, I think they would find 
offensive, right? But it says here, it says that Jesus, he knelt down and prayed. And so who's he acknowledging, right? That prayer, it says, uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your king. He was bowing down to the king, right? His father is the one in the authority, showing them that honor, right? And so Jesus acknowledged the relationship. He says, Father, and uh, I believe it's in Matthew, he says, Abba, Daddy, right? And he says, I want, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. So Jesus is first seeking both from God's will. He says, I don't want it just because I'm asking for it. If it's your desire for this cup to pass for me, then I would like it to pass, right? Um, and so uh, Jesus was desiring God's will in what was going on here, and he gives them that specific request, remove this cup from me, right? I think in, in Jesus' humanity, um, both being fully God and fully man, Jesus was fully man, and I think, I think we can miss some of that uh, humanity in that uh, just like it's a natural human desire for self-preservation, uh, we don't want to be hurt, we don't want to be killed, and that's just a natural part of being human. Jesus was fully human, and I think he had a desire uh, to, not be, uh, to not be killed, but he desired more for what the Father had, the Father's purpose in it. Um, and I think also that uh, Jesus, um, it wasn't just the, the, the beatings and the torture and being up on the cross, but also he had never been separated from the Father before. He always had this relationship with, with him. And when he goes to the cross, God's wrath, this cup that he's talking about, is judgment. It's judgment that belonged to you and judgment that belonged to me. And this is going to be poured out, this judgment on the sinless one, the one that did not deserve the judgment. And so this judgment, the separation that Jesus will experience on that cross, he will never experience that before, that separation from the Father. And he's saying, if there's any other way, if there's any other way that this could be done, do it, if you would do it. But if not, if there's not any other way, then your will be done, not mine, not my human desires, not the separation that I'll experience. Um, but Jesus submitted. He submitted to the Father. So we have him kneeling down to honor the Father. We have him acknowledging his relationship with the Father. We have him giving the specific request of what it is that he's looking for. And then ultimately, we have Jesus submitting to the Father. And so that's, he's modeling that prayer, right? This is, this is, again, converging on this point of this temptation, right? And he tells the disciples, pray that you may not enter into, te- into temptation, and so Jesus, he's modeling this. He's close enough, he's nearby to, for the disciples to see him doing this. They may even be able to hear him doing this. Verse 43, he says, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood 
falling to the ground. And so this, these angel, this angel coming down and strengthening him. We have this temptation going on here in the garden. And we have an angel coming down to strengthen him. This is, could remind us of what's going on where else we saw temptation, right? We saw temptation of Jesus, Satan tempting him in the wilderness before. And, in, uh, and we can read about that in Luke chapter 4. And in Luke 4.13 it says, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. In Matthew 4.11 it says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And we're seeing that here in Luke 22. Angels coming down and ministering to Jesus. But Luke doesn't mention that here. In, in Mark uh, 1, 12-13, it says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So here we have this... Uh, uh, Matthew and Mark record for us that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and they end that with angels ministering to Jesus. But in Luke, in Luke 4, it says that when the devil had ended every temptation, that he departed from him until an opportune time. And he doesn't mention anything about angels uh, here. It's not contradictory. It just Luke has a different emphasis. Luke has a different purpose in the story that he's trying to tell, right? What he's trying to communicate. And he's communicating to us here in Luke 22, um, verses 43 and 44, that an angel came down and was ministering to Jesus here. That Satan was going to look for an opportune time to come back, right? We started out this section of Scripture that Satan was demanding to test Peter and the disciples, also to test Jesus. And here we have Jesus praying, resisting that temptation through prayer, right? Submitting to the Father, your will be done. And it says, verse 45, And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter, enter into temptation. The disciples, they weren't getting prepared for the battle, right? They were sleeping. Um, temptation often comes when we least expect it, right? We're not prepared for it. And just out of the blue, whoa, what's going on here, right? And not being prepared, then you have to try to correct yourself quickly, right? Get get on board, take every thought captive, right? And it's a lot harder to do that when we're not prepared for it. And it seems like if we're prepared for temptation, if we've been praying, Lord, lead me not into temptation, right? And if, uh, if we keep up on that and we're doing those things, if we're prepared for the spiritual battle that we're going to be tested, we're going to be tested daily, right? And if we're prepared for that, then... I don't know about you guys, but it seems like the more I'm prepared, the less likely it's to happen, right? When I'm not prepared, bam, it's so easy to happen, 
right? It's so easy to fail. And so here we see the disciples, they're sleeping. They're not prepared for the battle. They're not prepared for the testing. And we already know, Jesus has already said, that they're going to fail. They're going to fail these tests. And we can see here what could be contributing to that, right? They're not praying. They're sleeping. When Jesus was in the wilderness before, he was alone, right? He was by himself, and angels had to come and minister him. But here in the garden, Jesus wasn't alone. In fact, the disciples, they'd be able to see him. They might be able to hear him, right? And Jesus is over there. It says, he's in agony. He's in agony. If the disciples had been awake and been seeing this, Perhaps one of them could have gone over and administered himself, right? But they were sleeping. They weren't able to come alongside. Jesus tells Peter in the beginning, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Minister to them. Minister to your brothers. There was an opportunity here in the garden for the disciples to minister to Jesus. But they, they weren't prepared for their own battle. They weren't prepared to help minister to anybody else that was around them. There was a lost opportunity here. Same thing for us. When we're prepared for the battle, we're going to go through it, and we may fail. We saw the disciples, they failed. We're going to fail. And when we do, Jesus says to Peter, "Turn, turn back. And strengthen your brothers. We have that opportunity ourselves. That if we are to fail, that we are to make that choice. We have a choice, right? To turn back. To turn back, repent. To turn to Jesus. And having gone through those experiences, aren't we able to help those who are also going through those? Perhaps. Perhaps we could be. Um, And if you have not been able, if you've not gone through those experiences... Maybe you could be a help there, right? Um, in whatever it is uh, that you're doing, seeking Jesus in prayer, right? Being prepared. It says, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus was prepared for the battle. In fact, he was so prepared, right? He knew how, Jesus, how Judas was going to betray him before he even did it, right? And so he was prepared. He was ready. He was prayed up. He was submitted to the will of his father. And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? They were ready to go. Hey, we got this. We know what's going on. We can take it into our own hands. And they didn't even wait for Jesus to respond. It says, And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. They were ready to take it on themselves. They weren't prepared for the test. Right? They were going to be counted as transgressors, they took the offense. This wasn't a defensive use of a sword, a weapon. They weren't being attacked. 
They went on the offense. They didn't wait for Jesus. They didn't need Jesus, right? Peter's going to deny that he knows Jesus. I think right here, I think we can see that the disciples, they denied needing Jesus. They're failing the test. And I think when we go through temptation, we go through testing, we go through trials, right? Isn't that what it comes down to for us as well? We either deny knowing Jesus or we deny needing him, right? We forget, we forget who Jesus is. We forget who we are, right? Our Father, we are children of God. I think a lot of times when we're going through those temptations, we forget who we are, right? We deny who we are. We deny knowing Jesus, right? It's like we look in the mirror, see our face, and then we turn around and we forget who that person was. We're children of God, the Father, right? If we're in Christ, we are children, right? And then we forget that. We deny knowing who Jesus is. We deny knowing who we are in Christ. Or we deny that we need him, right? I got this, you know? I can do it on my own strength. I don't need the help of those around me. I don't need the help of Jesus. And so... We have Luke here converging on this single idea, right? Peter's going to deny Jesus. The disciples are going to not deny needing Jesus. They weren't prepared for the battle. They weren't prepared for the temptation to come. They weren't prepared for the testing to come. But even in that... When we fail the test, when the disciples fail the test here, right, there's often collateral damage that goes on when we fail, right? We hurt those around us, not just ourselves, but also those around us. We see this servant here, he had his ear cut off, right? He wasn't part of this plan as far as, uh, you know, that's not what he was expecting, certainly, I think, that day. And yet, even in that, even in that failure, Jesus is able to work in that and heal him, to heal that relationship, right? To show his power through that. It says, verse 52, this says, Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temples and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out against, as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So they come out with swords and clubs. You know, they're expecting a rebellion, right? They're expecting these transgressors, and here they find them. That scripture may be fulfilled. Now, to be clear, Jesus never said once anywhere in here, use those swords. He never told the disciples, use the swords. And if we interpret that verse before when Jesus is telling them, hey, let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. If we interpret that as a command, you need to have swords so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Just having the swords was enough. Didn't say you had to use them. But if we look at the scripture as Jesus foretelling 
how the disciples were going to deny him, deny needing him, then it wasn't a command to get swords at all. But it was enough for the transgression to take place. Right? Jesus isn't telling Peter, Peter, I want you to deny me three times before the rooster crows. He's saying what Peter is going to do. And it's possible here when we look in this section of scripture when Jesus is talking about the swords, he's he's not telling the disciples, hey, buy these swords. It's possible that he's foretelling how he's going to be denied by the disciples. We see this crowd, it also says, this crowd came, this crowd came at night, is in the middle of the night. And they're coming with clubs and swords. Jesus says, I was in the temple day by day, and yet you did not lay hands on me. But now you're coming at night, in the middle of the night, with clubs and swords, as if they're leading a rebellion, a rebellion against Jesus. Perhaps they're the transgressors that are being talked about. Maybe it's the disciples that are the transgressors. Maybe it's the officers and the priests, chief priests, who'd come out against them that are the transgressors. And the truth is, we're all transgressors. We're all in in rebellion against Christ. And yet when he was in agony in that garden... He was agonizing over you, and he was agonizing over me. He says, this is your hour and the power of darkness. And Luke 4 said that Satan left him for an opportune time. And here we see that Satan is here. It's your hour. And the power of darkness. Not just the power of darkness because it's nighttime, but the power of darkness because Satan is here and he's testing. And the opportune time has come. And the disciples, they have failed that test. Jesus is in the garden. He did not fail the temptation there. He could have very easily have sought his own will and said, I'm not going to go through this. My will, not yours. But he didn't. He submitted to the Father. He agonized over what was going to happen. He agonized for you and for me. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. It was a gift to us. It was a free gift to us. But it cost him everything. Cost him his son that he gave. There was a price that was to be paid that you and I owed. But Jesus, he agonized in that garden. He submitted to the Father. Ultimately, he will end up on the cross for you and for me. This is verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, 
Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. Peter had an opportunity here, right? He had an opportunity to say, to be as bold as he was, I would go to jail with you, even to death with you. He had an opportunity here to say, yeah, I was with Jesus. And if that means going to jail, I'm going to jail. And if that means being put to death, I'll be put to death. He had an opportunity here to not fail, but he wasn't prepared. You know, you could think that he could do it on his own. I'm bold for you. He denied both knowing Jesus and needing Jesus. He needed Jesus. But he said he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. He failed that test. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. And again, he had an opportunity here. It wasn't too late to turn back. But he wasn't prepared. He says, Man, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. You know, each denial that he has is getting more emphatic, right? He's digging that hole deeper and deeper, right? A lot of times when we're facing those trials and those tests, we can be in denial as well, right? And the tendency is to just dig deeper and deeper, right? To go down further and further away when really we should be reaching out to the hand of Christ, to the one who's reaching out to us, and take that hand. To do that, we need to be prepared. We need to be in prayer. We need to be surrounded by those around us who can help Bear those burdens with us, right? We're called to bear each other's burdens, to be there, to minister to each other in our struggles. We all struggle. We need to be there for each other. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Jesus was prepared, and in fact, the one who could calm the wind and calm the storm, the rooster can crow. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. When Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And he went out and he wept bitterly. He went out and he wept bitterly. He remembered the word of the Lord. We have the word of the Lord.
being in prayer and remembering what Jesus has said, being in the Word, being in Christ. Before we're tempted, before we go through the test, because we'll go through the test and we'll be tempted and it will come. could save us from a lot of heartache. Peter had a choice here, again, what he could do. It says he went out and wept bitterly. Judas had a choice as well after being trained Christ. He had opportunity to turn back and seek forgiveness. Peter had a choice here too. He could either turn to the Lord and receive forgiveness from the one who was agonizing in that garden, who died on that cross. The one that freely offers up forgiveness. Or you can turn away from the Lord in loneliness, separated, like Judas. And we know from the beginning of the story here that Peter's faith will not fail, that Jesus has prayed for him. In John seventeen twenty, Jesus also prayed for us. He says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who would believe from the word that they hear. Peter says he remembered the word of the Lord. We have the word of the Lord. Jesus was prepared. And so when we prepare for the battle that's before us, we're fighting from a position of victory. Right? Jesus overcome. He overcame. He won that battle. And so we can look to him. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He is the one that can protect us. Didn't say we wouldn't be tested or go through it. We're going to go through that valley of the shadow of death. But he says, I can get you through it. And so when we battle with our struggles, when we battle with our temptations, we have to remember who God is. He's our Father. We need to remember who we are. We're children of the Father. He is the King. He is the Sovereign. He's the one in authority. He is the one who's won the victory. We can recognize that he provides for us. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus asked the disciples, when I sent you out before, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. They had what they needed. Jesus has what we need. It's often said that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. And I think probably most of us know that's not true at all. We get more than we can handle all the time. It's not for us to handle. It's 
It's not for us to pull us up by our bootstraps to go it alone. We need to seek the one who can help us to make those requests known to God, to let Him take care of it. If you're willing, let this cup pass from me. But if you're not, your will be done. We need to submit to the Father and rest in Him. When we give up trying to do it ourselves and we give it to Him and let Him do it for us, Jesus says, my yoke, I can take from you. He can get us through it. We'll get us through it. When we fail, and we will, we have choice too. Just like Peter, just like Judas. We can either turn to Christ or we can turn away. We can seek forgiveness in Jesus for the one that bled and died for us. Whose cup of wrath was poured on him for us. For he so loved us. called to help one another in our struggles. The disciples, they were asleep. They weren't able to minister to Jesus. But we can be awake. We're called to be awake in Christ. Be prepared to come alongside each other and help each other in the struggles that we have. Verse 62, he went out and he wept bitterly. That's a sad verse. That's a sad verse. But it doesn't have to end there, right? Because Peter does turn back to Jesus. He repents and he can strengthen his brothers. And he can do what God has called him to do. We can do the same. Amen? All right. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for sending your son to die for me, to die for us, to bear those burdens that we could not, to agonize in that garden to die on the cross, the cup of wrath poured out that we so rightly deserved. But you didn't leave us there. You gave us hope, hope that we can be forgiven when we fail. You've given us people around us to bear our burdens, to minister to us. 
You've given us the ability to minister to each other, Lord. And so I pray that if there's anybody struggling here this morning, there'll be people up front to pray for you. And if you see someone struggling, if you're awake and you have the eyes to see, to look over and see, hey, that person doesn't look like they're doing all right. You ask them, hey, how you doing? And say, okay, or not that good. That you'd have eyes to see that. You'd have the courage to come alongside and to minister to that person. So I pray, Father, I thank you that we can look to you as our authority. We can look to you for our provision. We can look to you for our protection. And I pray that you'd be glorified and honored in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Confess, bowing here.